Well, thank you for coming to Lesson 5, Servanthood and Stewardship. And let me just say that Lesson 5 proceeds really from the Gospel. When we talk about the Gospel and what God has done for us in our lives, then we're talking about the grace of God that gives us the ability to uh, serve. And so uh, this morning when we talk about servanthood, uh, we really are talking about a fruit of the gospel. And, uh, and so as we turn here in your manuals to Lesson 5, uh, page 1, which, I don't know if your manual's like mine, the page has got a little turnaround, so you might have to hunt for less page 1 in, in your manual. I had two in mine. Uh, you'll see there that uh, Jesus came not to be served but to serve. Not to be served, but to serve. He came as a faithful servant. And I love the passage there in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, where it says, You are not your own, you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. So what, what, what we have here, right, is the fact that God has purchased you, and so therefore you are now His. Uh, I think Paul at one point called himself a bond slave of the Lord. And so, the gospel, the fact that we've been purchased by the blood of Jesus, uh, has implications, doesn't it? it? It should. And those implications should be, how do I live my life? Is it my life? Is it my time? Is it my money? Are they my talents? Um, does God have a right over them? And then how does he let me know what he wants me to do with them? These are all great questions. And so today's message lesson is on servanthood and stewardship. And really, it's, it's, it's our call. It's our call. Um, I believe that servanthood is modeled by the Lord Jesus. If you look down at the bottom of page one, like I said, he came not to be served, but to serve. If you look on the top of page two, I love this passage in Mark 10, 43 to 45. His disciples had just finished arguing about who was the greatest. I can relate to that. <laughs> And so Jesus said, no, that's the way the Gentiles think. That's the way people who don't know the kingdom of God nor me the king think. You should think differently. You should think in a way, and then he says, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Then he, he speaks of himself. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I don't want to go by that real quickly. Just like 1 John 4 says, this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son as a propitiation for our sins. So servanthood doesn't arise out of some desire I have to earn God's favor. No. Servanthood arises out of the fact that Jesus, look at that last line in Mark 10, 45, gave his life as a ransom for me. That just, I just want you to get that, because if not, what can happen is you either serve for the wrong reasons, or you resent having to serve, or you know, people in the church forget this, and they kind of beat people up about serving. And, and I'm going to share with you legitimate needs we have in the church, and I, I would sure hope and pray that you serve. Right? 
but the, but the motive has to be, I mean, Jesus gave his life as a ransom for me. I want to serve. This is a desire of my heart. Now, point two, or number two. It, it is mandated by the Lord. It is mandated by the Lord when he is washing their feet. And uh, he says this in John 13, 14 to 17. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So that's, that's amazing. Huh? It's one thing to know them. It's another thing to do them. And then, again, staying with this gospel motif. The servanthood is motivated by Jesus' sacrifice. Uh, I love this passage in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. I I want to pause and just think about that for a moment. Do do we appreciate the fact that he died for us? And if so, does that then have implications for how I live my life? How I handle my finances? Uh, These would be questions. These would be big questions. All right, page three. Let's look at the, the requirements for Christian service. The requirements for Christian service. And uh, <clears throat> again, understanding the gospel-centeredness of this, the Christ-centeredness of this, it should be God-centered. Uh, this great passage here in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord... And not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. It's, it's, this is just a great corrective for the isolation of selfishness. And uh, we, all, we all are tempted by this. We do this as unto the Lord. Secondly, another requirement for Christian service is that it's others-focused. So it's God-centered, it's others-focused. Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. There's a a lot right now going on in the body of Christ about this whole idea of becoming like Jesus, what we call the imperatives or the commands of Scripture, how grace interacts with that. I'm going to be in a, a little panel, really a very small panel, at a conference coming up here in April with a guy named John Piper. And um, there's almost like, seems to me anyways, maybe a backlash against the old way of thinking and doing church where there were these heavy imperatives, these heavy commands on people, almost guilting people into doing things, or guilting people into serving. And it almost seems like the pendulum has been swung all the way to the other end By the way, I think these are gospel-centered men. But it's almost like it's swung to the other end where it's like like the imperatives are almost removed from Scripture. Like it's almost not grace if you talk about imperatives. So 
it's an interesting discussion. I'm wanting to learn more about it, and uh, I'm really looking forward to going to this this uh, conference and listening. Um, but I think here in this point, you know, Galatians just says, "Look, we are free, but that doesn't mean we're free to just serve ourselves." Grace doesn't mean I have no obligations to anybody. All right, so three. Christian service is characterized by humility. Again, this passage is one I live in all the time because sadly I suffer from selfish ambition, rivalry, and conceit. Okay? Rivalry there can be translated selfish ambition. But this is what it says in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. And, and by the way, let me just populate for you the script, the verses around that verse. Because when I do, what you're going to see again is this gospel-centeredness. Look at verse 5. Well, I'm going to read verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Verse 7 of Philippians 2 but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Well, well, well friends, uh, well, friends, uh, this, this commandment is pretty intimidating. Don't be proud. Don't be competitive. Don't try to be the best and the top of your, you know, whatever, and for me, you know, I'm the best pastor. Our church is the biggest and best church. I wrestle with that all the time, if I could just be honest with you. And it stinks. It's not God. It's not Christ. And then you look at that second part, and look not only to your own interest, but also the interest of others. Oh, and count others more significant than yourselves. I mean, right there, you look at those three things, and you're thinking, that's not going to happen. This is, this is against human nature. True against fallen human nature. But if you see what motivates this, it is that what Jesus did, Jesus humbled himself. Why? So he could die on a cross. Why? To redeem us. Why? So that we be redeemed back into the image of God. And, and it's beautiful. And if that is what motivates our Christian service, well, it should. Then it will be sweet service, even when times are hard. And maybe people don't appreciate us. And... Uh, our service maybe isn't as fruitful as we'd like it to be. All right, four. Christian service is empowered by the Spirit of God. The title of the message I'll be preaching this morning, March the 3rd, 2013. Put a little timestamp on this. Uh, is entitled Spirit-Empowered Mission. So I've been soaking in this whole idea of the Spirit empowering us. We don't just serve on our own, pull up put myself up by the bootstraps. I'm going to get up early this morning to go set up the church by the, you know, because I'm disciplined and all that. No, no, no. We serve by the power of the Spirit, which discipline is a fruit of the Spirit, but it's by the power of the Spirit. 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order then in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So we do it by the strength that God provides. So turn to page four, and you will discover there on page four, Roman numeral two at the top. So how do we do this upon Vista? Okay, so 
what we what I want to share with you are some of the ministry teams that uh, I would suggest you might want to uh, explore being a part of. Now, I've given you a packet um, to with some instructions on how to get online at Palm Vista. And so what, what I would encourage you to do, because the list always changes, just get online and then just type in, uh, you know, you can see the ministry teams and there's a list there. And But I can just tell you about some of them. For example, you've probably seen some people around here setting up. So there's a team that sets up. Right now it's a team of one, which is Enzo Solani and his children. There's others that help. But that might be something you might want to consider. You don't do it every single Sunday. You get on a rotation, and uh, you know you would you would set up, uh, and then you would uh, break down. So your first one in, and your last one out. Which when I was in the military, when I was an officer in the army, uh, I had some very good officers train me, and actually some very good non-commissioned officers, what they call NCOs, sergeants, train me. And they would all say the same thing. You know, a good officer is the first guy to wake up in the morning. He's the last guy to go to sleep at night because he's caring for his guys. You know, a good officer is the last guy that eats at chow hall. He, everybody else eats, then he eats. You, what do you see there? You see some biblical equity there, don't you? I mean, that's what Jesus did. I mean, he's God, and he goes to the lowest place. You know, just amazing. It's amazing to save us. Wow. Much more than an example is actually the power of God. It is an example. It's not less than that, but it's more than that. It's the power of God to enable me to change from being a selfish guy that doesn't want to serve anyone to someone who looks like Jesus. So, I totally forgot where I was going with all this. Yeah, ministry teams, wasn't it? There you go. Ministry teams, um, thank you so much. So, setup, that's where I was going. Uh, another one is you're, you're in one of the rooms here for children's ministry. This is a big one right now. I mean, we, we really need some help. One of the page pieces of paper I have in those folders for you is a child protection policy, which we've had in place at this church for many, many years. And so what we do is we ask you to fill that out and sign it, and then we do a background investigation on you to make sure there is nothing in your past that would preclude you from being able to work with children. And I hope you're not offended by that, but if you have a child, you're probably saying to me, thank you very much, Al, I would want you to do that. And so, but I'd love for you to fill that out and hand it in to me whenever you can, as soon as you decide to join the church. And we'd love to get you on a rotation to help with our children. Because we care for our children for the full hour and a half that we have service. It starts with worship, it's kind of fun, and then we give classes. And for the little ones, you know, we, we care for them. So I, I think it serves our church. I think it serves in the preaching of the word. I think it serves the parents. Parents don't have to put their kids in children's ministry. Some parents want to have their kids right with them, and we allow that. But most parents would say, you know, at, at a certain age, they're probably going to get more from a a lesson tailored to them than from a sermon that you know I'm preparing for adults. So, and we need a lot of help with that. We lost a lot of people when we planted out the church a year ago, and for some reason we just haven't regained our, our mojo with the children's ministry. So we'd love to have you serve there. Another one is the worship team. And so I think, do you play or did you tell me you play? Yeah. And even if you kind of a little bit play, you know, if you, if you want to check it out, talk to Zeke who leads our work, he'll be leading this morning. Uh, he'll audition you. And when I say audition, that's just a fancy way of seeing what you can do, okay? So it's not like, you're not performing. This is an American Idol. But we do want a certain level of expertise when you get up there so that we can serve people and people aren't distracted by someone who, you know, whatever, can't keep, carry a tune or play the guitar, like I can. Um, so that's another one. 
Um, we also have um, several outreaches, evangelism team. We have a, a Christmas outreach. We have something coming up in the summer. We'd like to do more there. Quite frankly, we're pretty weak in that area. And you talk to me about that because I work with that, that side of it. Uh, there's creative arts. Uh, there's working with Bentley and administration. Uh, there's um, helping us out with just creative ideas, whether it's for our online presence or even how we can just let our presence be known in our community better. Again, we're not typically super strong there, sad to say. So if you have those kind of expertise, let's talk. You see, what, you see where this is going? If God's given you a gift and he's called you to serve, then what, what's your gift going to do? It's going to build the church. That's the beauty of it, isn't it? Rather than just taking my gift and going home and just guarding it, you know. Something maybe you do at work that, that you might be able to volunteer in the church to help do. There's a hospitality ta table. There are greeters. We always like to have greeters out front. There are people that work with our guests in the very back. And so um, Nelson and Patty uh, oversee that. Mel Nelson's kind of a... Uh, muscular guy that's back there, got some tattoos on his arms, and Patty, his wife, a little shorter, dark black hair, and they, uh, they, they oversee the guests, um, sort of the integration of guests when they first come in, and I greet them at the guest table, we send them an email, and then some follow-up with them, and then greeters, there's ushers, Patrick uh, oversees ushers, so just every, every Sunday helping out, helping with the offering, helping with communion once a month helping if there's a problem in the auditorium ushers. There's a security team. So we have guys that are posted by this front entrance since we're in a public school watching where the children, where people going down the hall to the children's uh, ministry. And then they have already a, a standard operating procedure. If anything should happen, they can spring into action. Sadly, in today's world, you have to be ready for that. So there's probably a lot that I'm, I'm forgetting. But page four kind of talks about that and talks about you getting involved there. Uh, as the Lord would lead you. And I would encourage you to get involved, guys. But let's go to page five. Because uh, I think not only your time and your talents belong to the Lord, but we would say at Palm Vista, your treasure belongs to the Lord. And so this is that area of what, what they call stewardship. Okay, And it's just, it's, stewardship is basically the management of life and all of its resources for the glory of God. So we've already kind of talked about um, our life is not our own. We want to glorify God with our body. Um, you know, everything is God's, right? So therefore, by definition, what we do is we steward. We don't own it. We steward it. It's very important. Very important. That Psalm 50 is a good one for that. Stewardship matters to God. I'm going to read that paragraph there on page 5 under capital B, the significance of stewardship. The faithful use of our resources is not only commanded by God, it is in fact an undeniable indicator of our spiritual health. Materialism, selfishness, greed, hoarding, anxiety over money, all of these reveal that our trust lies not in God, but in money. In the same way, generosity and faithfulness reveal that our trust is in God. By such things, we confess that God is the source of our life, not our possession. So, these all have deep spiritual roots, don't they? You start talking about money, which Jesus talked a lot about money. What you talk about is what do you treasure? What do you build your life on? Where does life come from? Where does your security come from? So you have these, these scriptures here. Luke 16, 11 to 13. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? 
And if you've not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Well, that's just pretty flat out in your face, isn't it, by the Lord? And then Matthew six nineteen and 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And now here's the point. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. There's your heart. So page, top of page six, what's the substance of our stewardship? Well, God provides for us, doesn't he? And he's called his people throughout history to support his work. This is what some people would call the tithe. So let's trace it through the Old Testament. So in the Old Testament, God tells his people to give a tithe. Tithe is simply the first tenth of one's income. Back then it was mostly foodstuffs, crops, uh, animals, things like that, things you grow in your garden. Um, And it was actually even before the giving of the law, and you can look at these scriptures. And and by the way, I would just encourage you, take this and study it, because we want you to come to a conviction. We want want you to say, okay, what is God saying to me? And then, you know, then this is one of the things that we can talk about at the pastoral interview. Now let's trace it into the New Testament. In the New Testament, you have ample evidence that giving to support the work of the church remains an expectation of believers. I mean, there it is. Uh, Acts 4, 34 to 35, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Now, I taught on this passage, and I want to clearly state the Bible does not advocate communism. Some people would read this passage and say, well, there you go. Uh, the, the branch of theology that really has clapped, latched onto that is called liberation theology. It's very popular in Latin America and Central America. And, um, you know, so it almost teaches a radical communism, you know, using verses like this. That's not what the Bible's teaching. Listen to my sermon on that, and hopefully you'll get some clarity there. Or we can talk about it if you're a closet communist. That's a joke. Everybody relax. See, I do that just to see if people are listening to it. Did you say that? All right, giving to support the church's leaders so that they can both devote their time and energies to serving the church. 1 Corinthians 9, 13 to 14. Do you know, excuse me, do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple? And those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings. In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So we see something from the Old Testament here, the support of the Levites, the priests, so they can dedicate themselves to the work of the temple. We see it's brought over into the New Testament. There's another passage that talks about not muzzling the ox when it is treading uh, out on the, on the crops. And so what does that mean? Not on the crops, but on the ground. What does that mean? Well, it, the ox is like pastor, the worker, he's working, so you don't muzzle him, he's he's eating from that which he's doing. So, it's an Old Testament principle, I would say it's passed into the New Testament. And then Philippians 4, 15-16, giving to support the extension of the gospel we call missionary work. And you, Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only, even in Thessalonica. 
you sent me help for my needs once and again. Paul was a missionary. He was a church planter. He was going all over the known world planting churches. And this church in Philippi was giving to them. So, the practice of tithing illustrates important guidelines and provides a helpful starting point, starting point for regular giving to the church. Bottom of page 6. We see that the financial support of the New Testament church is likened to the support of the, support of the temple. Top of page 7. Uh, which is the passage that we just now read. Uh, believers are commanded to financially support the local church where they receive care and training. You can see those scriptures, the 1 Timothy 5, 17 into 18. Uh, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And that's speaking of finances there. Especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads on the grain, and the laborer deserves his wedding. So that's a wedding, wages. So that's a direct quote from the Old Testament. So we see it brought into the New Testament. Uh, we're to give regularly and systematically. Um, I think this, this demonstrates a commitment to God and, and a trust that he will provide for all of our needs. Um, this morning I was just doing sermon prep, and um, I just remembered, you know what, I, I, I forgot to bring a tithe last week. You know, I get paid at the end of the month, so I usually bring a thing. So I just put a little note to Des, hey Des, write out, write out our tithe check. I don't do it because, oh, if I don't, God will be mad at me. No, I, I do it, you know, because I'm so grateful and I want to obey Him. And I want to support the work. I am supported by the work, but I'm happy to tithe to support the work and to support other works, church planning elsewhere. And um, so uh, it's, I, think, I, I, I think it's important to the Lord that we, that we give, that we give. And we could talk about that exactly how much when we meet with the pastoral interview. So I think it should be reg regular and systematic. I do, I, I do it monthly. Uh, and so I think in the New Testament, there's an intensification of obeying God's law. I mean, you know, in the Old Testament, it says, don't kill anybody. Jesus says, no, no, you can't even get mad at them. The Old Testament says, don't commit adultery. Jesus says, no, no, if you look to lust, that's adultery. So I think in this area as well, they, they, they tithe in the old. I think it only intensifies in the new. Uh, there's a great passage there in 2 Corinthians 8, 3 through 5, for they gave according to their means. And that's a big one right there, by the way, guys. I, I, that's why I, each case is individual. It's the heart of the matter. Do you hear me? It's not the percentages right down to the nose. It's the heart. Do you have a heart to trust God with your finances and support the work? So they gave according to their means, and I testify beyond their means, of their own free will, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the release, relief of the saints. And this... Not as we expected, but they gave first to the Lord. Gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Uh, and then at the bottom of page 7, I do believe that the, the, the Bible talks about offerings that are above and beyond the tithe, top of page 8. Uh, I know it is our practice as a family that we reserve some of our giving beyond the tithe to, to give to missions and um, to church planning. Most of it goes for us to church planning just because of a conviction we have. The church planning, I think, is, is the most effective missionary work. All right, page eight, bringing it, bringing it down to the home stretch. It's a hard issue, guys. Uh, it's, it's what I talked about earlier. Um, I mean, we're, we're to be generous, right? We're to be generous. God wasn't stingy with us, and he calls us to be generous people, and we're to be cheerful in our giving. Um, you know, we're to be deliberate in our giving. It's to be discreet um, and, and, and giving is by faith and not anxiety. So 
I think that idea of being discreet, I, I, I don't think we should be touting the amount of money we're giving. But I think it encourages everyone to encourage one another to give. So, uh, And it's by faith, not anxiety. I love that passage in Malachi 3.10. I mean, God, God's going to provide for us, guys, as we give. And I know the economy is tight. It's tight for us all. But God's in control. So, the privilege of participation. Great stuff, huh? Um, Last paragraph. Ultimately, the giving of ourselves through servanthood and stewardship is not merely a duty, as if we somehow could repay God through our giving or service. On the contrary, before we can give, we must possess. And before we can possess, we must receive. Therefore, all of our serving and giving is simply offering back to God what we have been so graciously given. Our time, talents, and resources or treasures are all gifts from God. And it is a consummate privilege to offer these gifts in service of of God's glory and purposes. What a gracious invitation God has given us to participate in the journey of the Christian life. Who could imagine a more noble, meaningful, and fulfilling existence? So, that's lesson five. And uh, look forward to lesson six next week. We'll be bringing it down the home stretch to our mission. Thank you for coming.